Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. The orphans bond a family that very few can understand. Help me! Help you. <laughs> I don't do drugs. Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with our scumbag. Wesley. I can't I can do the Keanu Reeves who's not the scumbag. Nobody can do a Dennis Hopper, right? It's like Wesley, huh? 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 <sighs> Today we are reviewing a movie from 1994. Say it with me. Speed. Speed. Speed, dude. I think that's what I texted you. Die hard on a bus. Now available on HBO Max. Spontaneously. But how long before it popped up for your streaming convenience did you have you watched Speed? How long has it been? Uh, it's been, I'm doing the math, six plus 20, 26 years. <laughs> Since you, <laughs> so you saw it like right as it came out or right afterwards on video? <laughs> yes. Wow. It's been a long ass time since I've seen Speed, but I, I remembered it fondly. And then when I was scrolling through, I was like, oh, Speed, dude. This is like a no brainer. Is it strange? This is that's, that's the poster quote. Is it strange that Speed somehow is not the brightest point in on the Keanu Sans timeline? This is his beefy, burly buzz cut movie. And it feels like not a Keanu Reeves movie. Like he was Jan de Bond, the director wanted Keanu Reeves because he felt he wasn't like super beefy and thus wouldn't be intimidating or threatening to other men who would put themselves in the hero role and the women would love him. But he spent months in the gym getting all yoked and looks pretty much nothing like Point Break, which is the role that Jan de Bont saw that encouraged him to hire him. He looks pretty grown up. It seems like Johnny Utah left the FBI and then got a big boy job at the LAPD, changed his name to Jack or assumed a new nickname. Became a big boy. <laughs> Became a, a big boy and, you know, used his characteristic moxie and bravery and cleverness to, uh, you know, foil yet another criminal in L.A. I don't think I really answered your question. What was your question? This somehow doesn't fit into the filmography. The Keanu, I always forget about speed for some reason. And that's strange. 
I mean, big movie to forget about. Uh, I don't know. I feel like this feels pretty in line. I mean, this is like Keanu Reeves as a movie star. Yeah, I honestly thought this was the highest he would ascend after he did, you know, sort of arty roles and stuff. And after he was blasted for his role as Jonathan Harker in Bram Stoker's Dracula, then all of a sudden, a couple of years later, Speed comes along and he's all beefy. And I thought this is his culmination. This is his transition to action star. And this is his sweet spot. All true. Yeah, but this was still pre-Matrix because I didn't see that coming. The biggest franchise pretty much of all time at that point. Yeah, and I walked into the Matrix. I clearly remember 1999 going into the theater and being like, I don't know, let's see what this Keanu Reeves movie's about. (laughs) And then did it blow your mind? It did at the time. I mean, we came out talking about it, which is always a good sign. A little bit of uh, Matrix overload there. That wasn't the title of one of the movies, but it sounds like it, right? You know what was strange to me about this movie is Speed was the first time since Ferris Bueller's Day Off, like 10 years before, that I had seen Alan Ruck. And when he's like the doofy tourist on the bus and she's like, there's gum on my seat, gum. (laughs) I was like, dude, Cameron Fry looks old. Yeah. And I think he was prematurely graying or whatever. And so, of course, I looked at IMDb and I was like, dude, I'm old because I'm like six years older than Alan Ruck was at the time. To be fair, he was like 30 when he played a high schooler in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh. But he was like 38 years old in Speed. Oh, you're six years older than him now. Yeah, I'm way older than the Alan Ruck character who's like the yuppie bonehead tourist uh, who was graying on the bus. And I was like, did they spray his hair to make him look old or something? Why does Cameron Fire look so old? <laughs> A lot of interesting cameos in this one. When, they, when the SWAT team, I guess it's just LAPD, when the LAPD team gets to the office building for the first set piece. It was like this weird little reunion of 90 stars and they were just popcorning to each other, talking strategy. And it was like Keanu Reeves talks to Miles Dyson, talks to Bosch, talks to Harry. Wait, who's Gary? Harry, Jeff Daniels will never be anyone other than Harry for me. Dude, same year. I know that that obviously we didn't have that frame of reference at the time. Maybe we did. When I almost said when Harry met Sally. Uh, Dumb and Dumber was never my style, but that's because the sequel that didn't feature uh, Jeff Daniels and Jim Carrey was called When Harry Met Lloyd. Dumber and Dumberer. Oh, man. But it was just like, it was all these people just showing up, and then Sandra Bullock's all fresh-faced, and Alan Ruck is there, and then the Gigantor character, who's about the same size as Keanu Reeves, ironically. Ortiz! This is a big movie, man. We're talking double Oscar winner speed. <laughs> yeah, I should have int- I should have entered it that way. Justifies the ensemble cast. I really don't have a point with talking about all this cast. It just feels in place for what it is. Yeah. It's strange to think that this was Sandra Bullock's breakout role. I don't think Demolition Man with Sylvester Stallone was it. But based on her cutie fresh face, that is why she has this role. She rolled off that onto speed. She rolled right. onto speed. Rolled. I get it. (laughs) Now, that would have been me. I would have been the wildcat if uh, this had happened in real life because uh, I did save a driverless car at one point in my life, in real life. What? Yep. There was like a thing for a while where celebrities were heroes and like Renee Selweger, you know, rescued somebody from a ditch and like Harrison Ford. Tom Cruise rescued everybody. Like even Harrison Ford swooped in with his helicopter and rescued stranded hikers off a mountaintop. Exactly. Remember when that was all the rage? Yes. When I become a celebrity because of, um, or whatever movie's fame, they'll tell the story of when I rescued a driverless car 
on Candy Cane Lane one Christmas. I was caroling with my high school youth group, and this is before I had my license. There was a sedan, and behind it, there was a big truck that had its high beams on, or maybe it was just a big truck, and, you know, the profile of the lights were shining in the eyes of the car in front. Anyway, they were, like, getting into this tiff and yelling at each other, and then eventually, the guy in the sedan parked his car, got out of his car, went to the truck behind him, opened the truck door, pulled the guy out of the driver's seat and started beating him on the street on Candy Cane Lane at Christmas time. This happened or someone put LSD in your eggnog or something? This for realsies happened. On Candy Cane Lane in Christmas time at the North Pole with Will Ferrell there? (laughs) And the car started rolling, the truck where the dude got pulled out. And I literally, for realsies, jumped in the car. It was a manual transmission. I didn't know how to drive. And I steered it off to the side and I put on the brake and I parked it. (laughs) And then the guy who was in a fight came back all bloody and thanked you profusely? Uh, You know, at that point, the adults finally intervened. But I totally saved Christmas Day. <laughs> Man, that is even better. Than, so did you learn the skills from speed? You know what? <laughs> Timing-wise, I was 15. So timing-wise, I had probably just seen speed and then did my heroic feat the next year. That's the second heroic story, I think, that Speed is responsible for. Because there was another kid who was on a school bus whose school bus driver had a heart attack. (gasps) And this kid jumped in the driver's seat and stopped the bus and saved the other kids' lives. No way. And when they asked him how he did it, he said he, quote, saw that bus movie. No way. So it's that kid who's a hero and you. On Candy Cane Lane. Was that just good speed PR? Pretty good. It's good of that school bus driver to have a heart attack on cue, right? At the studio's request, how much do they have to pay him for that? (laughs) Speed has brought good into this world. Is it responsible for anything bad? Yes. Speed cost me $3. There was a dude on Kickstarter who, for some reason, had his van and was driving around the country collecting. His goal was to collect all the VHS copies of Speed in the world. I contributed $5 because I was going to get some postcard from one of his stops or something because I thought it was funny. And then I was, so actually it was $8 because then I went into a video store and I was like, I want to be the dude who contributes a VHS copy of Speed. Tried to get the Sneaks copy who she clung to for dear life despite not owning a VHS player because she's all about Keanu Reeves and has sentimentality over that video cassette. But I went into like a used bookstore and they had a copy and I was like, I would like to buy this for a dollar. And he said, no three and i said no a dollar nobody uses vhs this is just for the thing and he's like no three dollars so i had to pay because you know once you get obsessed with a thing you have to i was gonna buy it anyway so in total eight dollars and the dude never came he was one of those people who stepped out on his kickstarter expectations on his obligations so still at mom and dad's house there's a bunch of dvds a bunch of blu-rays and my vhs copy of speed well On the bright side, you have a VHS copy of Speed. So that is the only copy of Speed that I own is on VHS, which is useless. Um, It's good that it's streaming, I guess. Yeah, it's great that it's streaming. I was just wondering, is there really enough there there to 
fill a whole episode up about speed? I, I think so. I mean, this is established enough so that I think everybody saw speed. But uh, I learned some new stuff coming into this review. Oh, really? My problem with speed had always been, what are we, speeding in an elevator shaft? Like, let's get out of here and get on the bus. I saw the promos. I knew what was coming. Let's get out of this elevator and onto the bus. And then when they got off the bus, awfully early, I was like, that was quick. And then they go into this weird subway channel chase or whatever and i was like i only care about the bus and apparently i'm alone in that because this movie literally ran out of money they did the bus stuff and they were like we want to do more but we don't have any money so the test audiences saw storyboards of the subway stuff and they were like we love it and on the basis of those test screenings they got the money to shoot what is essentially the third act of the movie but I was like, I don't care about this. The movie should have ended when you got everybody off the bus. And indeed, originally it did. In my mind, it certainly did. In my mind, right. Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock ro- rolled out into the sunset. Right. And he said relationships based on, on intense experiences never last. And she says on the little sled in the airport, we'll just have to base it on sex dead, which I think is the most awkward line ever for the end of a movie, given that they've known each other all of an hour and a half. But he's Keanu Reeves, homie. Look at him. Whatever. I wonder if she regrets that line. The point I'm trying to make is that I thought it was all about the bus, and I was intolerant of anything that was not on the bus, and yet the Paramount executives told Graham Yost, the screenwriter, they rejected it, because this had been floating around for like 12 years before it got made. They rejected his script initially because it had, and I quote, too much bus on it. Like, do you have to diversify for the sake of safety? Like, if someone came into speed and was like, I don't like the bus part, but I love the subway part. Like, who thinks it's a it's a movie about the bus and the bomb on the bus? And maybe this is looking at it, you know, in hindsight, but everything else felt tacked on. And that's exactly what the Paramount executives wanted. Interesting. I mean... A little tricky to stage an entire movie on a bus. I did, what do you call them? Shameless plugs? I have a lot of shameless plugs for this episode, but um, I did shoot a movie on a bus called Bus Love, and it's very difficult and very taxing, and you're moving the entire time, and you're dealing with traffic, and it does seem really, really unrealistic to set a movie on a bus in L.A. that has to maintain 50 miles per hour. That's in, There's no part of L.A. where a bus can maintain 50 miles per hour consistently. 105 or not... Yeah, the jump scene was adjacent to the most crowded and congested freeway in America. Yes, that's what, I'm ta- that's what I'm talking about. And that jump scene, whoa. This movie was exciting because this is right in our neighborhood. At most points in my life, I was driving these freeways every day. So here's a quiz for you because this to me is a quintessentially L.A. movie and L.A. freeway movie specifically. Okay, you're at LAX. Hop on the 105 East. And then you get on the 405 South until you get to the 110 North and you go North for a little bit. And then you get on the 91 East and you take the 91 East away until you get to the 5 South. Once you get off the 5 South, almost immediately you exit Ball Road. Where are you going? Disneyland. Everybody knows that in L.A. And so you can almost track the progress of this bus and you can see the interchange and when they're going one way and then all of a sudden they're going the other way to LAX, you're like, mm-hmm, wait a minute. <laughs> and you know that they can't possibly make these turns. At 50 miles per hour? Yeah, it's, it's like 18 miles per hour at that point <laughs> at best. 
But you roll with it because you love it. Because the whole thing is this juggernaut is out of control and it's a white knuckle thrill ride. But it's ridiculous. And no more so than the jump, which actually took place on the 105 freeway before that freeway was opened. It was completed more or less. It was about a month left. And they were like, yeah, jump a thing on it. But there was no gap in the freeway. So they CGI'd that? Yeah, they set up a ramp for that shot where the gap was was hugely apparent. You can still see the shadow of the intact freeway below on the ground, and they digitally removed it. And so when they shot it, they just set up a little ramp to get some air, and they shot the bus at it and filmed it. And the varying reports say there's two or three takes, because apparently they smushed a bus and they didn't tell the studio about it. So on official record, there were only two takes. And the first one, they were going like 60 miles an hour and they had the cameras positioned all around the jump site. And that thing gained like 20 feet of air. It was so perfect and so much momentum that it shot above the camera's range of vision. So it's like wheels in the frame going by and then bam, it's totally destroyed, obviously, when it lands. So the second one was better, but it's so awkward, that jump. So awkward. Where you have the front of the bus in frame and it's sideways. And they suddenly get air. Right. And you're like, there's no way that that bus cleared 50 feet. It's really convincing, especially for 90s technology. But that is an awkward jump that's been endlessly speculated on. It's like the most myth bustered thing or all those people who are tracing the arc of descent and all this junk to mathematically find the probability of that jump landing. So they only did two jumps? Two to three jumps, depending on who you believe. Because apparently the first jump wasn't even a jump. I think the stunt driver missed the ramp or something, and they crashed the bus and totaled it. God, there was a driver in that bus? Yeah. Man. Well, they destroyed a lot of buses in this movie, not including the, um, the one that blows up in Santa Monica. Yep. Well, actually, technically blew up in the Mojave Desert. Wait, what? Even pre-9-11, there's a thing where people at airports don't love it when there are massive explosions. So they did film on parts of LAX, but then they moved it out to the Mojave Desert to blow it up. I see the logic there. I don't see the logic as to why LAX didn't shut down. Like, why are there planes driving around and landing and taking off as this bus that has a bomb on it is circling the tarmac? They did film it at actual working LAX, at least for some of those shots. And apparently that shot where it clearly establishes a real plane in the background was like 50 takes or something to get right. That's hard to plan, right? Yeah, there's a great shot where the bus is rounding the corner and a plane is is doing something cool in the background where I was like, wow, that was pretty well coordinated. Yeah, Jan de Bont would be very happy that you noticed it. Yeah, so Jan de Bont? He was DP for the, all the big ones. He is no stranger to these movies. It's just his directorial, like his breakthrough, maybe his first. Uh, he did Die Hard, Hunt for Red October. This movie was originally intended for Die Hard director John McTiernan. And he was like, nah. So Jan de Bont saw his moment and stepped up. And dude, the one-two punch coming off of speed, what do you do to replicate that success? Twister is what you do. Good for Jan de Bont in the mid-90s. Did you feel like the bus riders were appropriately diverse for representing L.A.? They were for representing L.A. At the same time, there was a little bit of, not racism, but there was something there. You would have the minorities and stuff and the Asian lady and stuff. Mm -hmm. Then you would have the crappy tourist dude, which is definitely a part of L.A. And that's maybe the only movie that you can get on L.A. public transit and see like the set of or where they filmed it. Because otherwise, L.A. is this impenetrable maze of confusion and traffic. 
if you're a tourist coming to L.A. and you hop on the bus solo, you're going to have a bad time. But you're saying that if you hop on the bus from LAX to get anywhere, you get your tour of the set of speed. Right. You know how oblivious I was at the time? The ultimate chase and the emergence of the subway on Hollywood Boulevard at the end of this movie? I was like, as an Angelino, dude, I can tell you how fake that movie was. L.A. doesn't even have a subway. You can't just put a subway in a city where there's no... Of course, there was a subway, and I had no idea because I had never ridden it. <laughs> L.A. is distinctly a car town, yes. But a lot of the trailers and the promo stuff featured that scene where the subway car crashes, the metro car crashes through that billboard or the wood put up around the construction site. They used that thing of it crashing through as though it was part of the bus. I was like, that's kind of a cheat. Like the bus never did that. It's a subway car. Until I learned doing this research that that Metrolink car that they crashed through that wooden barrier and it lands, it was actually a bus dressed up to look like a metro car a subway car oh everyone thought it was a bus and it was a bus (laughs) right because they used the promo images of that crashing scene as though it was happening on the bus that dominates most of this movie as as far-fetched as all of this is i mean come on let's get real howard payne's villain is pretty cold pretty calculating and pretty smart this is the quintessential monologuing villain, though. He gave away everything, right? I guess he had to. You mean, are you talking about at the end when he has her strapped with C4? No, just saying, you know, uh, you know, I paid my dues or whatever, and, and the wildcat over there, and he just gives so much away. And he's like, the watch led Harry to me, right? And he, he knows that he's talking too damn much. But he was smart and calculating and knew that it wasn't just one and done. It was kind of the progression of the game. As Jack called it, he said it was a game, then they'd just play another game if it gets away. Yeah, smart villain. It seemed to me that he intentionally led Harry and his team to his house. I don't know if it was necessary for Harry to die. I know, sad, right? He was already shot. Poor Harry. It did serve to show just how crafty our villain was. What is Glenn Glenn Plummer, I guess is his name. What did Jaguar dude do to deserve running his Jaguar off into the into the cans, which are filled with sand, I think, and not filled with water? He was like, you know, whoa, that was a nice move, man. But yeah, he didn't deserve it. And uh, <laughs> the hindrance of the door to get on the bus maybe didn't justify the way that Jack solves the door problem. <laughs> with the, And it was kind of his bad for not being prepared. Like, it's not like Jack crashed the car. He just couldn't get control of his powerful automobile. Um, spoiler, <laughs> he shows up again in Speed 2, Cruise Control. Get it? Cruise Control? What? womp. He's still successful. And after the trauma of being involved in the bus bomb incident of L.A. in 1994, he treats himself to a little vacation on a cruise ship. It's like the recurring gag in Lilo and Stitch. It's like the dude who gets his ice cream cone knocked over. He didn't really serve any purpose except as a throwback to the other movie. The only connection really being Sandra Bullock because Keanu Reeves is like, yeah, speed two on a boat. Not for me. Yeah. Well, another very unwieldy vehicle. Did they have to keep moving the boat? I mean, there's plenty of water. What was the deal? Yeah. I can't really speak to it because I only saw it once. I don't remember much about it. I know it was Willem Dafoe, but I know that at least on the bus, if you've got the uh, cameras at wheel level and you can see the grit flying and you can see the wheels turning, maybe even leaving the ground at some point. So when it touches down, you get the squealing and the, uh, the smoke from the tires and stuff. All good. Trying to convey speed on a boat, a little bit difficult. A giant cruise ship at that. (laughs) 
and maybe those things can get going but man it didn't look like it to me i mean that was one of those things even being young from the outset i was like speed on a boat that sounds dumb yeah there's just not a lot of perspective when you're on a boat such a big unwieldy craft but let's wrap this episode talking about my favorite subject keanu reeves okay keanu reeves really makes it don't you think he's such a superstar in this movie simultaneously having to lead and keep these passengers calm and he has this amazing stunt underneath the bus made for him right this role i can't imagine another dude in it and yet there were many many dudes who you know who came really close to being the jack annie combo who stephen baldwin and ellen degeneres what that almost happened as with all things you're like what could it have been and even Keanu Reeves was like, I'm not doing the, the Speed 2 cruise control thing. They were in another movie together called The Lake House, which is entirely tonally different. But it just was fortuitous that this that Sandra Bullock was destined to be a major star, which in her own right is a strange trajectory, like the unlikely romantic comedy star who became a major player kind of thing. I don't know that they necessarily work together for me. You know, this movie is not dependent on their chemistry. Nor is this wrap-up dependent on their chemistry because we're only focusing on Keanu, right? Oh, well, I mean, that was my segue, but we can talk about other things. It's This is kind of blowing my mind because I watched... In my Keanuessance, I watched an interview with him and Ellen, you know, on The Ellen Show. And Ellen's talking about how Sandy confessed for the first time, apparently, that she had had a crush on Keanu Reeves when they were filming the movie. And I was like, duh, hello, who didn't have a crush on Keanu Reeves? But Ellen had Keanu on her show and was like, by the way, Sandy said she had a crush on you. And he's like, I had a crush on her too. And Ellen's like, ooh, and she's giddy. And she didn't mention at all that she was ever considered for the Sandra Bullock role. Yeah, she actually told Howard Stern she debunked it, or she said she was never approached. But apparently that's what they were originally floating, because Yandabon did kind of cast around for who he wanted. He wanted a fresh-faced, breakthrough-y kind of actress, and someone who was not quite as established. Uh, but Keanu Reeves, when he was cast, apparently, there wasn't a female character because they didn't think that he would be able to carry it. Or maybe this role wasn't strong enough to be just a dude raging on a bus and trying to figure stuff out. So the Annie character was added later to have a, a, ve get it, a vehicle for a female star because it was meant to be a, a funnier kind of lighter role. For an actress with, a, with some comedic timing. Keanu, I'm not sure how much longer... Keanu Reeves can sustain my Keanu-sance, but he really is a superstar, and I think you had mentioned in a previous episode that he has led kind of a tragic life in some ways, and and, and kind of a charmed life in other ways, and he's now dating an age-appropriate artist, and he lives quietly in LA, and a totally free spirit about whom everyone has really nice things to say. One thing that Keanu Reeves is known for, particularly the, the nice guy stuff, I mean, there's the stories about him giving away money, secretly funding hospitals, secretly funding small business owners and all that stuff. But one reason that Me Too or anything similar never got him was because there's also a thing that suggests that Keanu Reeves never does the inappropriate thing ever. 
He's notorious for not touching people. The fans that come up to him and stuff, he'll pose for a picture and you can see his hand hovering over their shoulder or hovering, you know, a few inches behind their waist because he doesn't touch anybody. And all the speculation has been that it's because he doesn't want to get blamed for anything inappropriate. Maybe he's just a stand-up dude. By all accounts, a totally stand-up dude. Keanu Reeves in a Andy Warhol-like 4x4 painting is my current wallpaper from my computer but my kianessence i can see is it's sunsetting and speed is a wonderful way to have topped it off so thanks wes for going on this journey with me yeah is it a totally for you <laughs> when i got done watching speed a spontaneous viewing last saturday night i was so happy and if totally was on my rating scale i would totally give speed a totally that's the poster quote. If speed if totally was on my rating scale, speed would totally get a totally. We didn't talk about Dennis Hopper. We didn't talk about anything. It's all about Keanu Reeves and how beefcakey he was. Apparently, he was always the long-haired Keanu Reeves from Point Break that everybody knows and loves. And they were like, can you, for this one, you're an L.A. cop, can you get a respectable haircut? And he was like, yeah. And then shaved his head and they were like, oh. <gasps> So they had to, they considered putting the whole film off to let him grow his hair back. No. But it worked out. But this is like, aside from The Matrix, maybe his only shavy, heady role that I can bring to mind. In The Matrix, he's got hair. Yeah, until he doesn't. Until he wakes up in the, uh, in the pod with oh, the goo. Oh, right, right. So? Too much bus on it. It's so weird. I mean, you look at, at speed, and, and as an adult, if this movie were to be released today, you'd be like, that's ridiculous. Like, you can't do that. And I had all those feelings at the time. It still, it hit all the same beats for me, the same reservations I had, the same kind of annoyance that the bus ride ends altogether too early, that the elevator scene is extremely long. But I guess it all comes around. All those three components were still speeding along. But it seems like they're vignettes and the bus one is the only one that matters. And it's fun. I give speed a solid all right. I actually started to watch it, not even in preparation for this review. For real? Because you go on HBO and you're like, speed. Because that's what speed is. It's like, speed. And you're excited on a base level for mindless entertainment. 818-835-0473. You had an all right from Wes and a totally from Iris. We hope you enjoyed our review on speed. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic.
Electricast. Electricast.